Welcome to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this new message from Pastor Brian Gibbs. I'd like you to grab your Bibles tonight if you would. I'd like you to go to Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6. We've got a long ways to go tonight, and so I want to dive right into the word of the Lord and to be effective tonight. We are, we are at a great crossroads here in the United States of America, and we're on the precipice of an election of a lifetime. How many of you all understand that? Truly, truly, we are at the precipice of an election of a lifetime, just days away. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version tonight, Jeremiah chapter 6. I'm going to begin to read in verse 16. Are you there? All right. Four of you are there. Are you there? <laughs> Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. If you have the NIV version, I love the NIV, this particular word right there in verse 16. It says, stand in the crossroads. Stand in the crossroads and ask for the ancient paths. Isn't that awesome? Stand at the crossroads and look for the ancient paths and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Well, I hear that word over America tonight. That's what the Lord is inquiring over us. Stand at the crossroads, ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And also, I set watchmen over you saying, let the sound Listen to the sound of the trumpet. Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. And therefore hear, you nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words nor my law, but rejected it. Wow. What a word from Isaiah concerning Israel. Now, I want to launch us into this word tonight prophetically to say that we are standing truly at the crossroads in the United States of America. And we are being summoned right now by the Holy Spirit to the place of the crossroads and ask for the ancient path, the, the tried and the true path, the way of the Lord. It's called, in Proverbs, it's called the royal path of life, where God summons his sons and daughters to walk inside the royal path of life. It is the ancient path. It is the tried and the true path of God that will bring us into his righteousness, into his desires, true right standing with God. Are you hearing me tonight? We are just days away now from an election of a lifetime, 2020 election. 
And for the next few moments, I want to speak to you as a leader. I want to speak to you as a pastor. I want to speak to you as a shepherd tonight. I am not speaking to you this evening to be controversial. I'm not speaking to you tonight to be provocative or to be political tonight. I'm speaking to you this evening to be very clear, to be very biblical, and to be very prophetic. Can you all handle this? Okay. Just setting this up, I just want to say that (laughs) this is a mighty pulpit, isn't it? Cost about $30 at a, at a music store. It's a mighty pulpit. But what I want to say to you is every time that I, as a messenger of the Lord, as a messenger of the Lord, you know, the Lord called me when I was 13 years of age. He set me apart and called me to preach the gospel. He told me that I wasn't allowed to do what most people are allowed to do that I was summoned unto him, that I had to be set apart and consecrated unto him to become a messenger, a mouthpiece, or I will say to you, a trumpet for the Lord. That's my calling, is to be a clear trumpet in our generation, a true, pure messenger of the Lord for this hour. When I bring a word like this, I want you to understand that I do not compromise the pulpit to appease people. And I never will because the Lord has called me to fear him and not the people. He told Jeremiah, do not be afraid of their faces. He says, but fear and honor the Lord. The way that Jeremiah was able to become a mighty voice, a mighty trumpet for God, is so that he would not fear the faces or the disgruntled faces or the fearful faces that would be in opposition to him. Even though he would stand and decree the word of the Lord, he had to fear and honor the Lord to become a pure vessel of fire and glory. So I want to be clear about this tonight, that we are, we are not standing at an election to choose between two men. We, are, we have come to an election now to choose between two entirely different Americas. Do we understand that? Do we understand that we are not caught into some realm where we are still bickering and biting and arguing over personalities. We stand at the crossroads in this hour, and heaven and earth is watching. And ladies and gentlemen, God is not an indifferent bystander. Are you with me tonight? I believe you're with me. I do. I believe you're coming tonight. But we stand at the precipice of Two different Americas. We have to choose wisely. And we have to choose to honor and fear the Lord our God as we step forward to cast our vote. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, put it in your notes tonight. I'm reading out of the New King James. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. And this is the word for this hour Amongst many words, but this is a very clear word. God says, I set before you life and death. Choose life. 
I set before you life and death. Choose life. Now, here's the scripture. This day I call the heavens and the earth as a witness against you. Now, that, this is powerful language because every time I read this, I think about the great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on in our generation, in our time. They're standing there over the banisters of heaven saying, go for it. Run with endurance. Run with patience. Run with faith. Let go of the sins that easily beset you and run the race that is before you. He says, I call heaven and earth as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Are you hearing this prophetically? Are you hearing this prophetically? Choose life so that you and your children and your children's children, these generations, even tonight that we just laid our hands upon, that they'll live in an era of life and the blessing of the Lord. The Apostle Paul writes to his spiritual son in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Put it in your notes tonight. He's speaking to leadership. He's speaking to pastors. And this is what he says. He writes in 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. He says, and a servant of the Lord or a pastor or a shepherd must not quarrel but be gentle to all, able to teach in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Whoa, did you all see that? And if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. I want you to know that when I, every time I read this, I don't have to just read it because it's branded in my spirit. I take it to heart. A leader has to be gentle, able to teach, patient, but in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Now, I acknowledge what Paul has wrote there. That's our admonition. But I also want to instruct you tonight and acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our true prophet. He was the one who denounced, denounced with righteous indignation the vile hypocrisy of his day and the day that would be to come for the end of the age. Jesus would speak openly denouncing vile hypocrisy. Read the first few chapters of Revelation. And his denouncement and his call to literally repent. Repent. We the church. Victory, listen. We the church. We are God's restraining agents. We are God's restraining force against evil in our times and in our age. Do we understand that? Do we understand that this vote is the time for us to step up against the forces of wickedness and darkness that would try to subvert this nation and bring us back into captivity and bondage? Do we understand it? This is not a game. This is a real war. This is a real war that God is fighting to save America at this time. 
If we will not rise up, if we do not rise up in this hour and vote righteously, evil can triumph over America. It's that simple. And I believe those of you that are sitting before me understand the gravity of this hour, that there can be no compromise with darkness. There can be no concessions and no compromises with the spirits of darkness. Edmund Burke said these words, and I quote to you tonight. Edmund Burke said, The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing. And I cannot remain silent, and to do so would be evil. Wow. You know, I was, I was shocked by John Piper's article yesterday denouncing President Trump and coming to the tragic conclusion that he would not vote. Now, that is stunning. And I say this respectfully. I love, love John Piper. But I am amazed at the leaders in this hour that in such self-righteousness, because of personalities in their own self-righteousness, will stand back and say, I will not vote. My God, folks, this is about our children and our children's children's children. People hung up, tripped up over personalities. I'm going to get into this tonight. This is so sobering. I say woe to leaders who are being seduced in this hour by self-righteousness to step out of our privilege and our responsibility to vote for righteousness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which I wrote a great immense about in my book, Bold as Lions. And we don't have a bookstore open, so you cannot buy it. But next week, you could get it for $1,000. Praise the Lord. It's a great special we're putting on. He was a German pastor during World War II. He was part of the Nazi resistance against Adolf Hitler. And these are words that you may have heard before, but you need to hear them again. He said, Bonhoeffer said, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. He went on to say, and God will not hold us guiltless. Let that just roll over your spirit. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak, and not to act is to act. Again, Jeremiah cries out to us, and he goes, Go out to the crossroads. Go out and look at the crossroads And look and peer for the ancient path, the tried and true path, the royal path of life, which a good father always summons us into by his spirit. This is the path to walk in, son. This is the way. You'll hear a voice from behind you saying, this is the way. Walk ye in it. Stand at the crossroads. Listen. Listen for the sound of the trumpet in this generation. Listen for the sound of the trumpet in this generation. What is that? 
It is the righteous, tried, and true word of God that will never pass away. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but behold, my word shall never pass away. It is the tried and true, righteous word of God. And every one of these words of the Lord shall be fulfilled. Hallelujah. It's amazing that in this hour, see, we're, we are just in the church mountain. We are in an epic warfare on what we believe we should say or what we should not say. What we should do or what we should not do. I want to ask you tonight, was Moses being political when he went and he demanded the Pharaoh to let God's people go from slavery from Egypt? Was he being political? Was Elijah, was Elijah being political when he faced off against King Ahab and Jezebel and all the false prophets on Mount Carmel? And fire came down and consumed the entirety of the altar and the burnt sacrifice before the Lord. Was Elijah being political? Was John the Baptist, was he being political when he confronted Herod's immorality? His immoral lifestyle that would literally cost him his ministry and his very life. His head would be served on a dinner platter in the prime of his life. Was he being political? Was he being political? When Jesus said to Pilate, Pilate said, he says, Don't you understand that I have the power to free you or to have you crucified? Jesus said, you would have no power over me unless it was given unto you from above. Was Jesus being political? How about in Acts 4? Were the apostles, Peter and John, in the book of Acts, were they being political when they told the governing officials that they would continue to preach in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, even though they were being threatened? Were they being political or were they honoring God? In Acts 19, in the city of Ephesus, the apostle Paul, haha, he preached in such a way, unprecedented, powerhouse preaching under the anointing of the Holy Spirit that it completely interrupted civil life and businesses and cities and political agendas in a region. Was he being political? Was the apostle Paul being political? How about this? In, in 1775, in America, 1775, in America, was, was Jonas Clark, when he led his church in Lexington, Massachusetts, into the militia to fight against the British Army for independence, was he being political? They were called the Black Robe Regiment. Pastors and shepherds that stood in the pulpit that would, that would face Britain head on and remove their coats to go and fight. Was he being political? How about in 1830 here in America when revivalist Charles Finney in the second great awakening, he called for the ending of slavery from his pulpit. Was he being political? 
That's quiet in here. I'm not afraid. Y'all okay? Y'all good? Okay, me too. I'm good. I'm going to keep coming right at you. How about this in 1963? <laughs> How about a guy named Martin Luther King? What about his civil disobedience as a Baptist minister for the civil rights movement and giving his life for this cause, for liberty and justice and freedom to come? Was he being political? No. Jeremiah says, go, ask for the ancient path, the tried and the true road, and you will find rest for your souls. And I've set watchmen in place for you, so listen for the sound of the trumpet. Your heart has ears that your natural ears cannot hear. There is a sound of the Spirit of God that when truth is being spoken to you, it reverberates in your spirit and it causes you to stand at attention and you know it's the word of the Lord. You have to hearken in this hour. While many are being confused and deceived by the spirit of this age, God is calling and summonsing his sons and daughters to hear his voice and stand up in righteousness and declare the word of the Lord. You'd be surprised how many people believe that pastors or shepherds should not talk anything about politics or anything po deemed political issues. Again, I'm not here to be political. I'm here to be biblically correct. See, how many of you as Christians that you believe we are called to literally integrate our faith into every sphere of society? Can I see your hand? It's amazing. You believe that we're to integrate our faith into every sphere of society, yet a massive sector of the church is afraid for us to step into the realm or the mountain of government. We're called to integrate our faith into everywhere God calls us to walk. Let me ask you a question. Do you, do you think the Muslim um, Elam Omar from, from Minnesota, part of the squad, how many of you know who I'm talking about? Omar from the squad, do you think that she integrates or integrates her faith into her policies? Yeah, you answered that correctly. How about, how about the, uh, the Muslim Rashida Tlaib from Michigan, part of the squad? Do you think she integrates her faith into her policies? Okay, you're doing well. This is good. I have some really good feedback here. It's amazing. Joe Biden has already promised to add Muslims to his administration. He's already promised. He's already courting them in this hour. See, if you are a Christian... If you are a Christian who believes this lie that faith and politics don't mix, you're already duped. That pastors should just stay out of that. That leaders should just stay out of that. That it convolutes the gospel. You're wrong. Yeah. Because what we have to be aware of right now, there are other world religions, secularists, 
humor, uh, humanist right now that are seething at their teeth, at their mouth, dripping to overtake this nation. They have an appetite for destruction. They have a hunger within them to overtake the United States of America. And you have entire sections of the Christian faith that are unwilling to step forward and vote righteousness. Why? Because they're hung up over the stupidity of personality. Now, in recent years, we have a real dilemma going on in America. And in these most recent years, pastors have literally become cowards. They have become pitiful when it comes to speaking clarity, clarity and giving moral clarity, ethical clarity, biblical clarity to our times and our seasons that we live in. But I want to tell you tonight, this was not always so. This was not always so. During the 13 colonies of America, pastors boldly, boldly, radically spoke out against those who were running for political offices. They vetted them. They vetted them with the word of God. They would chastise them and come after them with the word of God to make sure that we were putting the right people into office. The pastors were bold as lions. For the first 200 years, America's pastors would preach strong, bold election sermons exactly like what I'm doing tonight. Actually, from 1730 to 1803, you can literally find published books of sermons of pastors in America that were guiding their people through the political process so that they could rightly divide the word of truth where we were to stand on society. Wow. Everybody say, wow. Yeah. See, they wanted their people to have a biblical education and to understand that the source of all truth is Jesus himself, the living word, and the written word of the scriptures. The truth is this, folks. God, hear this with your heart. Hear this with your heart. God is the centerpiece of our government and the very centerpiece of the foundational construct of America, of the God-fearing founding fathers who made a covenant with God when this nation was established. From America, from the time of 1776, from the Declaration of Independence. Listen to this. The Declaration of Independence, it starts, it, it begins to speak about the laws of nature and then the laws of God, the very nature of God, the very laws of God. It says that all of our inalienable rights, they don't come from government, but they come to us by our creator God. Say amen. It goes on to say this, it appeals to the supreme judge of the world. Who is that? It's God. To the supreme judge of the world. And then the Declaration of Independence, it invokes the protection of of divine providence in the signature line of all 56 signers that pledge their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honor to give themselves unto this declaration. And then, not only that, Congress then went on to instruct churches 
and pastors from the steps of their church that they would read and, de- and make the declaration of, a, of independence and the rights to our citizens. What am I trying to say? The pastors were out in front. The shepherds were out in front. They were leading America in the charge. They weren't standing back as cowards, afraid to say anything that might be deemed provocative. But they were leading the charge in a spirit of righteousness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you hearing what I'm saying? It was actually the pastors that were leading the charge in the American Revolution to spread the word. They didn't have Twitter. We all know that. They they, they weren't Facebooking it. It was one-on-one. They were sharing the power of the spoken word. Hear that again. The power of the spoken word. The power of the testimony. The power of the testimony. The power of the spoken word. A man or a woman that could stand in a God-fearing posture and say, this is what God has given us. Your rights are from our creator God. Are you with me tonight? Pastors like Jonas Clark. Jonas Clark, he's the one who led the Minutemen militia in Lexington, Massachusetts. In his congregation, Jonas Clark, he took over 70 men, 70 men from his congregation and defeated over 700 British soldiers. This, these are, listen, when we go back and we start retracing our history, it's like reading the mighty acts of David's men. The mighty men of David that would just break through any barrier. Any barrier. Jonas Clark walks out of his church with 70 mighty men. And history tells us at the Battle of Lexington during the Revolutionary War, April 19th, 1775, they destroyed over 700 British soldiers with 70 men. It's biblical proportion. When the British army lost that battle, they moved on from Lexington, and then they were met by a man named William Emerson. He was another pastor patriot. You kind of starting to see a pattern here? We're going to go with this. They met up with William Emerson. He was another pastor patriot with his militia of 300 men in Concord, and they defeated the British. Who was out in front leading the pack? The pastors. The shepherds. And then the British would have to move on again. Only to find another black-robed regiment. Another man of God who was leading the men to the charge. Then another pastor. His name was John Peter Mullenberg. He was from Woodstock, Virginia. And on January 21st, that's a great day. That's my wife's birthday. On January 21st, 1776, John Peter Mullenberg preached a message from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where it says there's a time for everything. Everything, there's a time for everything under the heavens. But when he got to verse 8, where he says, and there is a time for war. 
Oh, my. He stopped his preaching. He opened up his black robe. And underneath his robe was the Continental Army uniform. He walked to the back of his church. And he summoned 300 men out of that church to follow him. They would form the 8th Virginia Brigade. Pastors were leading the charge. It's biblical. It's biblical. Moses, listen, Moses, man, my voice is cracking. <laughs> that just sound like I just went through puberty. Listen, listen. <laughs> I sang my voice out tonight. I always do it. Moses is on the backside of the desert tending sheep. And God is speaking to him about becoming a national deliverer. God has it in his heart to raise up shepherds after his own heart. It's Jeremiah 3.15. He says, I will raise up shepherds after my own heart and they will feed my flock with wisdom and understanding. But not only will they feed the flock with wisdom and knowledge and understanding, if need be, when it is time to fight, when it is time to fight, when it is time to go to war, when it is time to go to battle, America's pastors and shepherds now have to rise and speak boldly to the people of God. You cannot sit this one out. I'm speaking to those of you that are online and wherever this message ends up going, these messages take on a life of their own. And I'm amazed by that. We have people in other countries all over that will end up finding this video tonight. Seriously, it happens all the time. Josiah heads our media ministry, and I'm amazed when he says, Dad, people are listening from this nation, this nation, this nation. It's amazing. Before James Madison became president, he ran for the first Congress in 1789, he met with some Baptist pastors. Who am I talking about? James Madison. Y'all with me? James Madison, before he ran for president, he ran for the first Congress, 1789. He sat down with some Baptist pastors in Richmond, Virginia. They sat Madison down and they said, you will not get the vote of Baptist until you do these things. Boy, you got to love those Baptists. Come on. B. Gibbs up here got saved in a Baptist church. Come on. You got to love those Baptists. <laughs> they sat him down. They said, you will not get our vote until you change your Federalist views and you write for us a bill of rights, especially to include in the First Amendment the right to religious freedom. James Madison, he took their advice. You all know that. And what did he do? He wrote for us the Bill of Rights. And he was voted on to the first Congress. 
What am I saying tonight to you? What am I getting at? I'm saying that Christians have always been involved in the battle for freedom in politics. They've always been involved. We've just been duped by stupidity in this land. But that's going to change. That's going to change. That's going to change. In 1796, President George Washington, in his farewell address, he said, religion and morality, they are, um, you, they're interlinked. And they, and they support, they are the literal support of political prosperity. So what went wrong in 2020? How did we get where we're at in this hour? Why are the pulpits quiet? Why are the preachers afraid? Why are so many people in churches from coast to coast, in the pews or the seats, afraid to say anything? I will tell you, because I believe many pastors, unfortunately, they have forfeited their spiritual responsibility unto God. And because of it, because they have pacified the spirit of this age, because they have pacified the spirit of this world, we have become weak. We have become anemic. We have become a sleeping church in America. So what about the separation of church and state? I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> well, what about that, Pastor? What about the separation of church and state? The phrase, the separation of church and state, I want you to understand that it is found nowhere in our founding documents. I want to say that again. The clause or the phrase, the separation of the church and the state is found nowhere in our founding documents. Documents. It's not in the Constitution. It's not in the Declaration of Independence. It's not in the Bill of Rights. So where did it come from? Where did this come from? I want to answer the question tonight. In 1802, when Thomas Jefferson was president, he wrote a personal letter to the Danbury Baptist Association on the First, Amend First Amendment. He told them that the First Amendment keeps the church safe, hear this, keeps the church safe from government's intrusion and government's overreach. Did you hear that? He said that the First Amendment keeps the church safe from the intrusion of government and the overreach of government. That's what he wrote in his letter. In quote, he said, we in the First Amendment, we are building a wall of separate, building a wall, <laughs> building a wall. Take that any way you like it. Okay, so we're building a wall for a separation of church and state. And it's amazing to me that 150 years later after Jefferson, it is being so twisted, so manipulated and hijacked so that the government can remove the church out of the square. I'll tell you what that is. It is the spirit of Antichrist. It is the spirit of Antichrist that always hijacks what God as a good father, he's a perfect good father, what he was doing to protect his church, 
now as being a tool to abuse the church. Are you hearing me? The First Amendment was not to keep the church out of government. The First Amendment was written to keep government out of the church. Twenty twenty has been a year. <laughs> Everybody's either say amen or oh my, oh my. It's been a year, a global pandemic, intense race relations, riots of anarchy and lawlessness. Now we hear of defunding the police, cancel culture, Black Lives Matters, Antifa. A woke culture, whatever that is. And now an epic presidential race. A Supreme Court epic battle for life right now. People are anticipating 2021. <laughs> but I will tell you, the turning of a calendar doesn't change hearts. The only thing that changes hearts is Jesus Christ. And we may be anticipating, we may be anticipating getting out of 2020 and going into a new year, ladies and gentlemen, but I want to say it again, it does not change hearts one bit. We need the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to change the hearts of America. I believe with all my heart, America will return from a prodigal and return home to a good and perfect loving father and in covenantal love, in covenantal redemptive love, he will say, welcome home, my child. Welcome home and put a new ring on our finger, a new robe on our back, new shoes for our feet and say, my son who was lost and dead has now come home. Kill the fatted calf. Let us celebrate. You know what? You never, you never put a never on anyone. How many of you are praying for someone who is running lost in rebellion right now? Can I see your hand? You never put a never on anyone. And I will say the same thing. You never put a never on a nation that is running from God. Because you limit the power of the Holy Ghost to summon and call a people back to the heart of God. This is our greatest hour. I'm telling you, this is our greatest hour. We are coming in to the harvest of the ages, the end of the age before Jesus returns. We are going to be a part of the greatest move and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in America and the nations. We have to view our time and our seasons through Jesus, who is the living word, and then the written word, to identify the problems that we see, but also how to identify the solutions that need to come into our culture. It's the only way to see. The Bible is the true source of truth. It's the only source. So Romans 13, put it in your notes tonight. Romans 13, I'm going to look at a scripture in verse 4. 
And we're rounding the bases tonight. I'm moving quickly. Romans 13, it tells us this. It's the writings of the Apostle Paul. That government is literally this simple. The purpose for government is simple. Say that. The purpose for government is simple. Say it again. The purpose for government is simple. What is it? The purpose for government is to do these two things. Number one, to cultivate good and to punish evil. Say it. To cultivate good and to punish evil. What is it? Cultivate good and punish evil. That's what government is. And God ordains leadership. He ordains rulers, leaders that will come forth and they will become an instrument of righteousness in the hand of God to cultivate good and to punish evil. Look at the life of a man named Donald John Trump who is being used as a gift of God to punish evil and cultivate good. Now, if that offends you, listen. We have been in a famine of leadership so long that some people cannot even recognize a true leader when they come on the field. This is not about personality. This is about cultivating good and punishing evil. God ordains them. Romans chapter 3, verse 14. For he is God's minister for you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger. I love that. An avenger. We're not talking Iron Man tonight or Captain America. Y'all, y'all with me? To et- execute wrath on him who practices evil. Again, Government is simply for this. Cultivate the good and punish the evil. Jesus is the Savior, not government. Jesus is the Savior, not government. The government is not our salvation, ladies and gentlemen. But government can do what? Government can literally cultivate what is good. Government can punish what is evil and maintain a a pure momentum of a society to continue to prosper. Listen, God is right in the midst of government. He's literally the centerpiece of it. God is government. And the government shall literally rest upon Jesus' shoulders. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. Now, this is a big, big, big point tonight. So when we have the opportunity to vote, to cultivate good in America and punish evil, you you understand that's what you're doing. When you step into that voting booth, you are stepping into your God-given right and privilege with honor in the fear of the Lord to punish evil and cultivate good for the United States of America. You're not wrapped in the stupid vortex of what you don't like about tweets, personalities, or whatever. It's about policy, not personality. My God. Are you with me tonight? 
You cannot neglect your responsibility to vote. I don't know who's going to hear this video tonight, but I'm telling you, you cannot neglect your responsibility to vote. And not only that, to vote righteousness, with, which is in alignment with God's sacred word. As Christians, ladies and gentlemen, we're called to choose leaders who will be a proponent of good and defend the innocent and punish the evildoers and evil workers. We are to vote for policies that government must carry out for righteousness, for the unborn, for our children, for our families, for the church, for our health, for our protection, for the safety of our own sovereignty as a nation. You do not neglect voting or say, I'm just going to set off on the sidelines just because someone's personality rubs you the wrong way. That's why I am baffled at John Piper's words that he would rather sit this one out and not vote. I'm telling you, it's staggering, folks. Woe to leaders. Woe to leaders that are leading people down that path. It is not the tried and true path. It's not the ancient path. It's not the royal path of life. I set before you life and death. Choose life. How many of you know that we don't have the luxury of righteous personalities in 2020 to vote for? <laughs> if you're holding your breath, baby, it's not until the millennial reign when Jesus shows up. He's, he's got perfect policy and perfect personality. <laughs> but in 2020, not so much. I want you to write this down. A nation will rise and fall on the policies of a leader, not on the personality of a leader. I want to say it again. A nation will rise and fall. Doug, you're with me. I see you. A nation will rise and fall on the policies of a leader, not the personality of a leader. You vote policy. So let's look at policy. Can your butts handle another few minutes? Let's look at policy of two parties and their vision. And then ask yourself a few questions tonight. In a biblical view for America. Let me give you a few examples. A few examples tonight. You don't have to answer this out loud. But which party in policy will work and strive to protect the unborn. What policy, what party will war to save babies and enter us into a new era of life? Which party is for abortion on demand to exterminate millions of unwanted pregnancies? Which party which policy says that a marriage is still between a man and a woman? 
Which party, which party says that they will fight for an eight-year-old boy who's not even old enough to buy a pack of cigarettes, who's not old enough to drive a car, who's not old enough to vote, but will fight for you to have the right for your genitals to be removed from you. And ladies and gentlemen, you can remove the genitals and you can put that body in the ground and when you unbury that body a hundred years from now and when you do a DNA test on it, it will tell you that body belonged to a boy. This ain't rocket science. I'm not brilliant. That's just simple. That's just simple. My God, we've got to wake up. Which party and which policies endorse terrorist organizations led by occult leaders in Black Lives Matters and Antifa? Who are Marxists and socialists who call for the destruction of the nuclear family. What is the nuclear family? It's a father and a mother. But Black Lives Matter say that they endorse the force of a queer culture. And would rather destroy the nuclear family. Which party does that? You don't have to shout it out. So I'm going to close with a test. This is an open book test tonight. Y'all okay? It's an open book quiz. And I'm rounding third base. And I'm about to slide home. And you're all like, oh, thank God. Thanks, bro. Thank you. It's like fire in my bones. I do too. So I'm going to read to you this first one here. This party says this, and I'm just going to have you guess in your own mind what party says this. Are you ready? We value the rights of America's religious leaders to preach and Americans to speak freely according to their faith. We believe the federal government, specifically the IRS, is constitutionally prohibited from policing and censoring speech based on religious conviction. We pledge to defend the religious beliefs of rights of conscience to all Americans to safeguard religious institutions against governmental control. That sounds like what I want to vote for. Say amen. amen. Now on that same subject, the other party said this. We celebrate Americans' history of religious pluralism and tolerance and recognize the countless acts of service from our faith communities as well as the paramount importance of maintaining the separation of church and state enshrined in our Constitution. It's not in the Constitution. We've already established that. It's not in the Bill of Rights. It's not in the Declaration of Independence. How about on marriage and sexuality? Here's what one party believes on marriage and sexuality. We will fight to enact 
the Equality Act. We will work to ensure LGBTQ people are not discriminated against when seeking to adopt or foster children. We will protect LGBTQ children from bullying and assault and guarantee transgender students access to facilities based on their gender identity. We will ensure all transgender and non-binary people can procure official government identification documents that accurately reflects their gender identity. This is right off of their websites. This is not, this is not Brian. This is me reading what is on their platform. The other party concerning marriage and sexuality says this. The other party. Y'all are brilliant, right? Y'all are discerning. Foremost among those institutions is the American family. It is the foundation of the civil society. And the cornerstone of the family is natural marriage, the union of one man to one woman. We oppose the imposition of a social cultural revolution upon the American people by wrongly redefining sex discrimination, reshaping our entire society to fit the mold of an ideology that is alien to the American history and tradition. Kamala Harris. <laughs> she has a lot of fans here, I can tell. She boasted. She boasted that she was the first attorney general to marry two women. That's on her portfolio. Do you know that Joe Biden is the only presidential candidate that has ever performed a homosexual marriage? How about, how about our drag queens reading to our kids in the libraries? Now, I'm not saying this to be provocative. I'm not saying this to get you stirred up. You already know the news. Me saying it in church is just reality. Don't be offended at me for talking about this from the pulpit. You watch it every day. There's one party that's pushing that very strong. Take a guess what party that is. I want to tell you, it's demonic. I want to tell you flat out, it's demonic, and it needs to be ran out of this country by the authority of the name of Jesus. I was walking down the mall, the mall of Washington just the other day, right down the middle of the mall in the grass. I was in sweatpants. I was in a, a sweatshirt green sweatshirt. I was in tennis shoes. My hair was inside a camo hat. Nobody knew who I was. I wasn't praying out loud. I was walking in silence, interceding for our nation. 
when a hundred feet from me, two demonic women yelled out at me, you effing Christian, you mother effing Christian. And they came running at me full blast, just crying out the most vile, sickening garbage you've ever heard. And when they got about 10 feet from me, I just took authority over them and I bound them in the name of Jesus. I took authority over their devils and I bound them in the name of Jesus while they were just manifesting, contorting all in front of me. People are watching all over. I'm telling you, it's just the first fruits of what is getting ready to happen. There is a visible unleashing power an authority that the church of Jesus Christ is going to move in in this hour. And God is calling us to drive this darkness out of our country. I had a dream, some of you will remember this, several years ago, in the dream, I was at Ohio State University's football stadium. I was walking on the field of the football team, and the stands were filled with thousands of students, but before me, on the grass, were hundreds of bodies of students from that university that were flopping violently demonized that were manifesting. And I was walking through those, that crowd of students, taking authority over those demon powers and casting them out of them. It was a visible unleashing of the power of God. In that dream, Dutch Sheets was about 10 feet from me and other leaders that I was with. And we were just going through bringing cleansing and purification. There was national news outlets all over with cameras that was capturing the power of God on display. You know, I was at the inauguration for Donald Trump. I will be at the inauguration, his second inauguration. <laughs> I will be there with my wife. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But on the day of the inauguration, on the day of the inauguration, Fox News broke a story. And in the story, they said the Ohio State University has created safe spaces for the students that are having mental breakdowns because President Trump has been now inaugurated as president. Safe spaces because they were having mental breakdowns of his victory. Safe spaces. Now, safe spaces were inaugurated from the LGBTQ community. They needed to create safe spaces that were free from, you know, homophobes, homophobics, so that they could talk about what they've been through in life and no one can come against them. When I came out of the dream, this is what I heard in my spirit. The only safe spaces that are coming in the near future is inside the manifest presence of the Father. That's a real safe space. That's a real safe space. 
In the hour to come, we're going to see visible outbreaks, unleashing of God's power. Some of you are going to be surprised that the Holy Spirit is going to summon you into a divine confrontation. And you're going to end up like an Elijah in that hour with the word of the Lord at the right time, with the right word, and the right power to execute judgment over the enemy. How about the economy? The economy. Here's what one party says. The government cannot create prosperity through government, can limit or destroy it. Prosperity is the product of self-discipline, enterprise, saving, and investments by individuals. But it is, a, it is not an end in itself. The other party says... We will forge a new social and economic contract with the American people and a contract that creates millions of new jobs and promotes shared prosperity. How many of you know what that is? That's socialism. I'm reading right off of their platform. Did you hear it? It's the redistribution of wealth. We're going to promote shared prosperity. I'll tell you what, folks. I'm standing with President Donald Trump's words tonight from the State of the Union address where he boldly said, America shall never be a socialist country. What are government leaders supposed to do? Cultivate good and punish evil. Cultivate the good, punish the evil. It's that simple. On Israel, number four. Y'all got a few more minutes? <laughs> this one's, I made it very simple. On Israel, the Democrats believe in the two-state solution. But the Republicans believe that we need to give Israel what is rightfully theirs. And that is why Donald Trump moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and we've been there. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. On the subject of life, and this is where I'm ending tonight, I'm sliding into home. Thanks for staying with me. On the subject of life. Here's what one party says. The Constitution guarantees that no one can be deprived of life. Liberty and property deliberately echoes the declarations of, the, of, of independence proclamation that all are endowed by our Creator with the inalienable right to life. And it cannot be infringed upon. We support a human life amendment to the Constitution and legislation to make clear to the 14th Amendment that it protects and applies to children before birth. Amen. 
the other party says, we will appoint, this is right off their website, we will appoint U.S. Supreme Court justices and federal judges who will respect and enforce foundational precedents, including Roe versus Wade. We believe every woman should be allowed reproductive health care services, including safe and legal abortion. We oppose and we will fight to overturn federal and state laws that create barriers to women's reproductive health and rights. This is where I'm going to end tonight's message. I'm going to read Romans 13, verse 4, one more time. When God raises up a leader, that, that, that leader in the hand of God is called to actually become an avenger and punish evil. And he's to execute righteousness. Again, government is this simple. It is to cultivate the good. It is to punish the evil. One more time. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. I say this. I say that it is time to punish evil. I say that it is time for righteousness and justice to come to lawlessness and anarchy and chaos. I say that we need to stand up and be courageous for the word of God in this hour. I say we don't set this one out. I say that we be bold to our friends and our neighbors, to our Christian brothers and sisters. We are Days away from the greatest election of our lifetime. Be bold. Speak truth in love, but speak. Because not to speak and not to act is evil. And God will not hold us guiltless. And I want to say again, God is not an indifferent bystander. To Christians that believe that they can just sit it out because they're in a wad over a personality, all you have to do is point them to policy that is releasing life. All you have to do is point them to policy that is leading to liberation and freedom. It's very simple. It's not hard. It's not complicated. The other thing that I'll close with tonight We are in a very peculiar hour where Christians, there is a line being drawn in the sand. There is a great falling away that is happening in this hour. This is not about Trump fans. This is not about Biden fans. This is about those who fear and tremble at the word of the Lord. And there are Christians right now who have lost their fear and their tremble at the word of the Lord, they will be held accountable. Coward preachers 
will be held accountable. This is an hour where we need to fear the Lord. We need to pray and intercede and ask the Lord, Lord, teach me how to pray. I mean, teach me how to pray. You know, the disciples ask Jesus that all the time. I'm so thankful for the baptism of the Holy Ghost that we can move out of the natural mind and begin to pray in the spirit, the mind and the heart and the will and the desires and the intentions that are in the deep places of the Father. The first thing the Lord told me before I wrote Bold as Lions, he said, Brian, remember this, the future does not belong to the God-haters. It does not belong to the God-mockers. It belongs to the righteous. The future belongs to the righteous. And the righteous are bold as lions. Let your mind be renewed that the future truly belongs to God's righteous. Don't you be afraid. Don't you back down. Don't allow the spirit of this age to intimidate you. Be bold. Be bold. Be strong. For the Lord thy God is with you. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. For thus says the Lord, stand at the crossroads and see and ask for the old ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. I've set watchmen over you. Listen to the sound of my trumpet. If you're comfortable, just take a hand next to you tonight. Father, Father, may your Holy Spirit lose conviction, powerful conviction upon the Christians of the United States of America. In the hour, in the valley of decision, even now, Father, Lord, would you awaken and quicken every believer to stand with your word. Awaken them out of their slumber and their sleep. God, you are the God of, an, of the impossible. There is nothing impossible with you. So, Lord, tonight we ask in the name of Jesus that you will awaken your people throughout this nation to stand and vote and take their responsibility and vote righteously 
for our children and our children's children, for the unborn, God, for our families, for our church, for the very sovereignty of this country. We stand at the crossroads tonight, Father. We commit our way to walk in your royal path of life. We will not walk in the paths of the sinners. We will walk in the path of life. We will not be seated in the seat of the scorners and the scornful. But we will be seated with you. We will heed your word. We will tremble at your voice and your word. Lord, awaken America. Awaken America. I speak grace, grace to America. That, Lord, we will avert your judgment. And that your mercy will triumph over judgment. And that, Lord, even in some of the present judgments that we are seeing, God, your mercy will prevail through those righteous judgments. Father, we thank you that you are patient. We thank you that you are long-suffering, that you are forbearing. You're a covenant-keeping God. You are an ever-faithful, unfailing God. And you hold on to us in covenantal love. Hold America, Father. Hold America in your grip. Never let us go. Bring us back to you, Father. Bring us back. We shall return. Let's declare it tonight. We shall return. America shall return. Come on, declare it. America shall return. Come on, declare it tonight. America shall be saved. America shall be saved. Come on, decree it with your heart, men of God. Come on, women of God. America shall be saved. America shall be saved. We shall return to you, Father. And the promise remains. You said, Father, if we return to you, you would return unto us. We hear your bidding. We hear your calling, God. And we answer in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thanks for being with us tonight. It's great to have you at Victory. I hope... Actually, I, I beyond hope. I know that the Lord strengthened you tonight. We love you. We bless you. If you would like to linger tonight for prayer, if you need prayer, these altars are open tonight. These altars are always open. Come and linger. Stay with the Lord. We're here to pray for you as well. We love you guys. Have a miracle week. Are you registered to vote? Come on now. Love you guys. Those of you that are with us online, we love you. We bless you. Good night. Thank you for listening to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to our website at victoryfla.com or download the Victory FLA app.